Let's turn over our Bibles to Matthew chapter 5. How's everybody doing today? You know why I ask? Because I care. It's good to see you again. I uh, consider myself a friend of the Shoreline Ministry. Even though I, uh, I have to say it's been a couple of years, I think, since I spoke here. So I don't know if I just didn't do a really good job the last time. Or maybe Gio and I need to work on our relationship. But uh, just to be honest, Gio, I'd like to come out at least once a year. And so uh, maybe I'll have to come twice this year to make up for that. Uh, I do have a, uh, a very strong connection, as already mentioned. Uh, my name is Reese Nealon, and I'm a minister in the L.A. Church of Christ, the central region over near Pasadena. That's a group that I lead over there. We've also been here, my wife and I and our family, for uh, 22 years ago. We came with 50 people to start the Los Angeles Church of Christ, which is now spread all over the greater metropolitan L.A. area, six-county area, almost 6,000 disciples. So that's been very exciting. Uh, if you didn't know it, uh, we actually started the ministry here in Ventura County in Santa Barbara in 1991. This is the 20-year uh, anniversary of that. We were only to stay, able to stay for a couple of years, and then we moved on. But, uh, you know, we had, I don't know if you guys still think of it this way, but when I was here, we referred to this as God's country. And I have to tell you, I love living here. I passed the exit on my way over uh, this morning, driving over uh, off of Moore Park Road in Thousand Oaks. That's where I lived and our family lived when we were here. Uh, it was a great experience. Uh, the connection goes on. Of course, the last seven years, we've been partners in Baltic Nordic Missions. Uh, that's been a great experience. Uh, uh, also, my, uh, my middle son, Joseph. Uh, spent uh, a little over a, about a year here, I believe, being trained to go in the ministry, maybe two years. Uh, had a great experience. He really needed and benefited from the training he got from Gio and all of you. I believe everybody uh, had a part in that. You know, I like to say it takes a church to raise a child. Uh, you know, I try to do my part, but, you know, any parent knows there's only so much you can do. And uh, it's great to be a part of a church where everybody else helps out. Uh, we're very proud of uh, Joseph. Uh, he got married last year in April. He's still in Norway, married that uh, beautiful Norwegian sister, Suniva. I don't know what that means, but it just sounds beautiful. Norwegian, and uh, they actually are going to be making their annual visit to the uh, States here, coming to visit here soon, and I believe uh, they'll be, of course, visiting out here. I believe Joseph will be preaching here in a few weeks, and so... Um, Anyway, we can look forward to that. Thank you so much for all the ways that you've helped out. And, of course, as well, uh, I'm sure you're aware, in 2005, Gio and Karen came over to really be the people who started our mission team there in Bergen, Norway, second largest city in Norway. And uh, that's where Joseph and Sunav are now. And they did a great job there. Uh, you know, Europe is a tough mission field in general. Uh, I don't think it's exaggerating to say that the campus ministry in Bergen is the strongest in all of Europe. Uh, very, very exciting. Joseph and Sunava uh, are still working with the campus ministry. They're both in graduate school now, but they've had four baptisms since December in their campus ministry. Uh, they're doing a great job, but a great foundation was, was really laid there. And I really want to thank Gio and Karen and all of you for your continued uh, support, uh, the spiritual support you provide, 
and the financial support that you provide as well. I asked Gio if I could tell this story, and so I'm going to go ahead and, and do it. Uh, I'm surprised he hasn't told it to you already. Maybe he has. We'll see. But uh, when Joseph and Sunova got married uh, last year in April, G- uh, Gio and Karen were able to come over for the wedding. And typical in a wedding, you know, we had people come up and share. And uh, there was this one particular man, uh, Canute the doctor, we call him, who is a longtime friend of the church. Actually, Gio met him, I believe, on the plane ride over to Bergen. And so he's been a friend of the church for many years. He uh, hasn't come much, and he isn't a Christian yet. Of course, we have vision for him, but he's a real good friend of Gio and Karen's and also of Joseph and Sunova's. So uh, he got up to share at the, uh, the wedding uh, there a little bit about the events there, and he reflected back to the time when they had started the church. And you have to understand, for most people in Europe, the whole idea of somebody coming and planting a church there is a little odd. And so uh, he admitted, you know, I was a little suspicious in the beginning that this was really a church planting because you had Gio and Karen there and then there's other Americans that moved in and uh, Gio was giving them directions every day and he was sending them out to share their faith, which was a good thing, to get the church started. But he didn't realize one of the areas that he was sending them to was an area where drugs were typically bought and sold in Bergen. And so uh, our friend Canute admitted, he says, you know, I'm embarrassed to say this because I've since uh, seen the light, but when they first came, they claimed to be a church, but I thought, really, Gio was a Colombian drug lord. <laughs> and so uh, you, could, you could see that, couldn't you? Certainly could understand that, couldn't you? In fact, you know, Gio is just a little on the crazy side, right? Can we all agree on that? I mean, one of the reasons I desperately need to come at least once a year, and Dr. Sugarman needs to come even more than that, is we just need to see what is going on here. And what is Gio doing now? Now, we trust that Karen is doing the best she can, right, to keep him you know, under control, to provide some normalcy to his life, to, to help Gio out. I mean, you really did well there, Gio. Desperately, uh, desperately needed Karen. But uh, we need to come on a regular basis uh, just to see what Gio's doing. So, anyway, it's good. You all appear to be dressed in your right mind today. So that's a good sign. I think we should get into the Bible. Are you in Matthew chapter 5 yet? This year, I have been uh, preaching uh, through the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, If you're not familiar with that, that is uh, Matthew chapters 5, 6, and 7. It was really, it is the longest recorded sermon of Jesus in the Bible. It takes place very early in his ministry. Some people have called it the greatest sermon ever preached. And it really is foundational. And I would urge you to consider, if you haven't studied or read the Sermon on the Mount recently, to spend some time there. It really is, provides the foundation and the basis of Christianity. If you can get the Sermon on the Mount and understand what Jesus is teaching, Matthew 5, 6, and 7, you will go a long way toward understanding Christianity. In fact, the whole rest of the Gospels and the whole rest of the New Testament really are just filling in the blanks. There's really nothing new. 
But it all originally was spoken and taught by Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount. It's sort of the Magna Carta of Christianity. It's the, uh, the Constitution, as it were, maybe even the Declaration of Independence, because uh, certainly that's part of it there, the significance of this sermon. It answers some questions that desperately need to be answered today. And that is, who is a Christian? What makes somebody a Christian? In America today, 2,000 years later, Christianity, most people think of a Christian as somebody who believes something about Jesus or the cross or the resurrection, etc. But in actuality, what Jesus shows us is that while foundation, belief is certainly and faith is the foundation, that to be a Christian means that there is a life to be lived. And there's a lifestyle that goes along with that. And no matter what you believe, if you don't live the life, you can't really call yourself a Christian. Now, I hope that's not too blunt for you and who's straightforward for you. I told somebody earlier, if you're visiting with us today, I understand it may be your first time here. If you don't like the sermon today, make sure you come back next week because I won't be here. But who is a Christian? What makes somebody a Christian? The Sermon on the Mount tells us a lot, and we'll even learn something about that today. So far, we've uh, done Matthew 5, verses 1 through 12 in my ministry, and we talked about the, uh, what's called the Beatitudes. There's eight of them. Talked about the heart and the character of a Christian. And as soon as Jesus finishes the Beatitudes, we will pick up there today ourselves. Verse 13, these are his very next words. You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled by men. You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. As soon as he talks about Jesus, the character in the heart of somebody who would be a disciple or a Christian, the very next words that he speaks talk about our identity. They talk about our mission. They talk about our purpose. Jesus says, you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. And he uses two metaphors, salt and light, which are both similar in that both of them describe something that is very powerful, describe something that is very positive in our lives, and describe something that is highly valued. And I think if we could just somehow go back 2,000 years, as much as we appreciate salt and light, the people of that day would have valued them and appreciated their impact even more than perhaps we do. Salt, the first thing we think about salt is we think about something that flavors our food. How many of you like salt on your foods? 
I got to tell you, I like me some salt. In fact, my wife frequently encourages me, at least taste the food before you put the salt on it. If you're one of those poor people here today who's on a low-sodium or no-sodium diet, let me just say, I feel sorry for you. And I will pray for you. Because I love salt. Salt is powerful. You know, it's, it's so powerful, just a little bit goes a long way. In fact, you don't want to put too much salt, right? Because then that whole thing flips around. Now, see, that's the way we think of salt. But that would not have been the way that primarily the people of that day would have thought of salt. Were you aware of that? Salt in those days was used primarily as a preservative. You got to go back to a world where there was no such thing as refrigeration. No such thing as electric refrigeration. Nobody had ice chests or ice coolers or ice makers. And so the way that they would keep their food and preserve their food, particularly the meat, was that they would rub salt on it. And that way the meat would remain good. It would keep the meat from rotting or decaying, and it would be preserved for long periods of time. Salt was a staple that was absolutely required in every household. wonder what Jesus means. You are the salt of the earth. Light we appreciate as well. But again, think about how much more light would have been significant in a time before electricity. A lot of you maybe uh, like to, to go out into the wild, to go out into nature. Have you ever gone out way away from the city and gone camping? Have you ever experienced what's called dark, dark? That's what I'm talking about. See, we don't realize, even though you're here a little bit removed from the city, but you don't realize how much light there is outside and even coming into your home at night because of the, the street lights and the city lights that are reflecting off the clouds and they're giving some light. If you get out far enough, where have you ever been somewhere where it was so dark you literally could not see the hand in front of your face? That was the world they lived in then. And so if you were traveling at night, there was no hope of knowing where you were going unless you saw a city set on a hill. In the same way, in the home, the typical home, you may not realize that, did not have windows. And so at nighttime, it was dark, dark in that house. And so you would light a lamp so that people in the house could see. And it was something that was much appreciated and much needed. Well, I hope this it's clear to you. The message I believe Jesus wants to give us is we're to be the salt of the earth, the light of the world. We are the salt. We are the preservative that protects a world that is rotten and decaying spiritually. We are the light for a world that is spiritually in darkness, total darkness. It's dark, dark out there. If we as the light do not expose 
the darkness, they may not even realize they're in darkness. We as the light can show people the way out of the darkness. We can show them the way to Christ. The message is clear. I've entitled the, uh, the sermon today, Heal the World. How many of you are familiar with that? You know why I chose that title, Heal the World? It's a song. This is something I like to do in my ministry. I frequently entitle my sermons after songs. Does anybody know the song, Heal the World? Who sang that song? Michael Jackson, that's right. What year did it come out? Mumble, mumble, mumble. 1992. Heal the world. It's a great song. Actually, a lot of people, it's not one of his most well-known songs. But interestingly enough, he said that it was his favorite song that he ever wrote. And when they did the Michael Jackson Memorial, which is coming up on two years ago, if you can believe that, at the Stable Center, the closing montage was We Are the World and Heal the World were the two songs that were done then. But the chorus is awesome. Heal the world, make it a better place for you and me and the entire human race. Salt and light. I want to mention a couple of things here. Jesus does not say we are the salt of the church or the light of the church. Do you understand the significance there? Even in the beginning, the vision of Jesus is that this gospel and this message would go into all the world. We're not just the salt of our city. We're just not the salt of our county, our state, or our nation. We are the salt of the earth and the light of the world. You know, uh, in two weeks, you're going to have your special missions contribution. And I believe that in faith, you have increased your goal this year from $25,000 to $30,000 to support missions in the Baltic Nordic region. Now, if you don't know where that is, you need to get out a map and look it up. But basically, that's northern Europe. And there's some uh, churches over there that desperately need our help. I applaud your faith. And the fact, this is one of the things I love most about our church is that we have decided we are a church that cares about a lost world. We're not limiting ourselves just to our state or our country but we've decided to care about people around the world. And in my ministry as well, we'll in two weeks, exactly the same Sunday, we'll be giving our contribution to support Baltic Nordic missions. It's very important what you're doing here with this missions contribution. 80 to 90% of the money that we give goes directly to support full-time ministry staff in the Baltic and Nordic region. There's just a little bit of money that has to be set aside for travel, for myself and Gio and others to go over there to help them out spiritually, some very little administrative costs. But basically, if we don't give, if your group and my group 
The Antelope Valley Church is also part of the Baltic Northern Missions Alliance, also the Milwaukee Church. There's just four of us. If we don't give, what that means is either some staff person is going to have to be taken off or their salaries are going to have to be cut. But our support means something. Our support's doing something. So I want to encourage you. We are the salt of the earth and the light of the world. I want you to also notice it doesn't say you are a salt, but he says you are the salt. He doesn't say you're a light, but you are the light. You know what that tells me? We are the only plan Jesus has. There's no plan B. We're just not a part of it. We're it. And from the very beginning, Jesus honors us. He expresses an incredible vision for us that we are the salt of the earth, the light of the world. I mean, look around. I mean, really, look around. Can you believe it? We are it. Does that scare you? It's a little intimidating, isn't it? It's intimidating. I get that. You know, when we started the L.A. church here in uh, the last part of May in 1989, 22 years ago, there were 50 of us that started. And one of the first things we did was we went down to Griffith Park. I don't know if you've been to the observatory there. And I think they've closed it off now, but you used to be able to park at Griffith Park Observatory and then walk a little ways. Uh, and we went up at night on a trail, and there's this little area where we could see the whole metropo- whole L.A. You know, uh, valley there, oh, the San Fernando Valley on one side and the, the L.A. basin on the other. And all the li- And, you know, the whole idea was that we were supposed to be inspired <laughs> by... The mission that God has given us. If I'm to be perfectly honest with you, you know, I was one of the leaders. And I didn't tell anybody, but what I was more than anything was just afraid. I was just intimidated. I looked at that and I go, and I looked around at the 50 of us, and I go, you've got to be kidding me. (laughs) Yet God is faithful. We have a church of almost 6,000 now. 22 years later, many others that have been impacted by our ministry and converted have gone on and other mission teams and moved on to other places and untold amount of good has been done. You are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. It's not because we're so awesome. It's because Jesus believes in us. It's because he has a vision. And if we make ourselves available, he says, I'm going to do things through you and your life and your impact that you will not believe. And that's exactly what's happened in the last 22 years. I'm telling you, if you'd have told me 22 years ago that, okay, fast forward, and 22 years from now, your 50 will be 6,000, and you will have planted churches in Vietnam, 
and Moscow and wherever else we've gone, Jerusalem. And you would have sent out people to all parts. If you'd have told me that, I would have went, wow. That's a little hard to, that's a little hard to take in. I could tell you, that really wasn't what, I, I wasn't envisioning that much. But you know, the Bible says, doesn't, doesn't the Bible say, he will do more than you ask or imagine. Of course, it happened in the first century too. I'm not sure we understand how shocking these words were when Jesus spoke them. Do you remember? Who were the people who flocked to Jesus? Who were the crowd? Was it the, was it the wealthy? Was it the educated? Was it the religious? No, Jesus came. The crowds were full of people, and he drew crowds because Jesus came and said, he said, I'm going to start to care about people that nobody else cares about. So you know, you know who came to Jesus? The down and out. The prostitutes. The tax collectors. The lame, the blind, the poor, the crippled, the uneducated. Look at the apostles. That's the best he could do. Bunch of fishermen and a tax collector and a zealot. I mean, you can go right down the list. And a bunch of people that were unheard of and unknown for very good reason. And it went on, the first century church. Do you know that the first century church, historically, it seems, where 50% of them were slaves? You remember what Paul wrote to the Corinthians in chapter 1? Not many of you were wise. Not many of you were wealthy. Not many of you were from noble birth. Remember that? 1 Corinthians 1, 26, verses following. Look it up when you get home. And later on, and just to really encourage them about, you know, the Corinthian church is one of the largest and most fruitful churches in the world. Later on, he says, you know, he's talking to them about sin. He says, you know, for sure, you know, understand, you, you're not going to be in the kingdom of God if you're an adulterer or if you're immoral or if you're a male prostitute or if you're a homosexual offender or if you're greedy or if you're a swindler or if you're a slanderer. And that is what some of you were. I wonder if we had a picture of the first disciples, if we would be very impressed. Right? Yet they turned the world upside down. God doesn't need a lot to work with. If you're educated, I'm sure he'd be happy to use it. But education is not required. If you have money, I'm sure God would be happy to use it. But money is not required. Maybe you're one of those people who are like Bobby Boucher and the water boy. You don't have what they call the social skills. You have to go rent water boy now if you don't get that. But here, it was so shocking. Jesus saying, the down and out are now the only hope for the lost world. That's what Jesus said. He said, come. He said, bring me your broken. 
Bring me your humble. Bring me your hurting. Bring me your empty, your frustrated. Come one, come all. And that's why the crowds came. All these people that nobody else cared about, nobody else had time for. Jesus said, come to me. Come to me. I, I got a place for you. The ministry of Jesus. You are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. Notice it says, I'm running out of time. No, it doesn't say that actually, but thank you for clearing that up. Notice it says, it does not say you should be the salt of the earth or you will be the light of the world. You are. In the mind of Jesus, it is inevitable that his disciples will be and are salt of the earth in light of the world. It's incomprehensible. It's inevitable. There would be any other result. I am so encouraged to hear about the impact of the ministry here in this part of the church since the beginning of the year. All the baptisms you've had. All the growth that you've had. But it's really inevitable. There is no such thing as a secret disciple. Did you know that? Either it will cease to be a secret or you will cease to be a disciple. There is no such thing as a secret Christian. Either it will cease to be a secret or you will cease to be a Christian. Because Christianity and discipleship are a lifestyle. It's not just a system of beliefs. It's not just about believing the right thing. It's not just about being a card-carrying member of the Shoreline Church of Christ. That didn't make you a disciple necessarily today. That didn't even make you a Christian today. We demonstrate our Christianity and our discipleship by how we live. Let me just uh, share with you a few practical things to continue on. As we finish up here, practical ways to have a powerful impact on a lost world. I'm sure that none of these are going to be new to those of you who've been Christians a while, but perhaps they'll be good reminders. Number one, we need to be a friend of sinners. Jesus was known and criticized because he was a friend of sinners. How much time do you spend with people outside of the church how good are your relationships with people that you work with they live in your community if you do not invest time with people outside of the church how are they going to see you as the salt of the earth or the light of the world especially those of you who have families I know you may not be impressed by your family. And I think I get that. I am frequently not impressed with my family. 
But really, even in all of our faults and our imperfections, our marriages and our families are a light to a lost world. You know, Gio was telling me over breakfast, what he says all the time is, your family and your children are the best evangelistic tool you have. And I understand. I agree with that. We've got to share our families, though. We've got to invest. We also need to share our faith. Not just invitations. Invitation to church. Invitation to Bible talk. All those things are good things. But if we're going to be this have the impact we need to in the world, eventually you're going to have to get the Bible out. You're going to have to share some scriptures. You're going to have to engage in some conversation that might be a little uncomfortable for you and for them. You're going to have to ask some questions that would be challenging and maybe some hard questions. Notice Jesus calls us to be the salt of the earth, not the sugar of the earth. Practical ways to have a powerful impact on a lost world. I don't have time to do all of this. I'll give you a couple more things. Be an excellent worker or student. When you think about the amount of time that each of us spend either on our job or if you're a student at school, what an opportunity to let our light shine. But if you're not an excellent worker, an excellent student, then you're not going to be, you're not going to have the impact you need to have. What does that mean? That means to me you need to be on time. That means you need to be responsible. That means you need to work hard. That means you need to be respectful to those who are over you, to your bosses and your supervisors. That means you need to be joyful at work. It means you need to be honest on the job. That means you need to stay away from water cooler gossip and slander, which goes on in almost every workplace that I've ever known. Your example at work and your example at school is an opportunity for you to make an impact. You need to be excellent there. And the last thing I would say is you need to be the same person on Monday that you are on Sunday. I bet you're like my church. I actually just preached this sermon last week in my church. I bet you're like them. They look good on Sundays. I'm telling you, on Sundays, they are on their best behavior. When I come to church, I know what I'm going to get. I'm going to get a bunch of people who are happy, and they're hugging, and they're warm, and they're giving, and they initiate conversation, and they are encouraging, and it's just going to be awesome. Don't you love the fellowship? Now, I hope in just a few moments when we break up, none of you are going to disappoint me. But I already know you're going to be awesome. But here it is, being the same person Monday morning that you are right now and that you will be after church today. That's how, that's one way that you can be the salt of the earth and the light of the world.
Well, if you know me, you know I could say so much more. But my time is up. Let's, uh, let's heal the world. Let's be the salt of the earth and the light of the world.